0: I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Cabrini-Green. Much has been said about the infamous housing project. The name is often associated with crime and poverty. But for decades, for many, Cabrini was home. But starting in the mid-90s, the city of Chicago began to demolish the high and mid-rise buildings, And the city promised residents who worried about displacement that everyone who wanted to come back to the near north side neighborhood would have that chance. It's been 10 years since the last high rise building in Cabrini was demolished, but its broken legacy lives on through the city's broken promises to its residents. A new investigation by the Better Government Association lays out the failed promises of jobs and housing made to Cabrini's residents, predominantly black Chicagoans and where those promises stand today. So with us now is Alejandra Cancino with the Better Government Association. Alejandra, welcome.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: So this was a year-long investigation. I want you to take us back to those early conversations that you had with your team. What, What made you look into this in the first place?
1: So we were, you know, like everyone in the nation, we were coming to terms with George Floyd's murder. You know, I wanted to experience some of the protests that were happening at the time, the calls for racial justice. And it really made me think about, you know, what was happening in Chicago, why Chicago is so segregated. Um, And it led me back to a history of segregation in the city. I am not from Chicago. I grew up in Miami. Mm -hmm. Learning that Cabrini-Green was one of the only black neighborhoods in the North Side, not the only one. Well, what happened to all these people? And that led me to this year-long investigation, trying to figure out what happened and reading the work of some of my colleagues, including Natalie Moore at WBC, and and really trying to... you know get it to today what is happening today
0: yeah i'm also not from here alejandra so like you i've been playing that same game of of catch-up and have been quite alarmed by what i've been learning for sure uh the story starts back in the mid-90s correct yes uh, starts in the
1: mid-90s yeah mm-hmm.
0: mayor richard m daly was uh looking to do something about the the housing projects said that he wanted to transform them uh, so just take us back to that time and, and tell us what was going on and what the mayor did
1: at the time, the buildings have been more and more in disarray. The Chicago Housing Authority, which owns the buildings, owned the buildings and operated the buildings. A lot of the units were empty and they were boarded up. Um, the elevators were not working. A lot of the residents had been complaining for years about the conditions in which they were living. Uh, 1993 is when a lot of the rest, the CHA kind of moved to uh, force out. Uh, many of the residents. And then in, there was a push by the business leaders in the city to try to do something about cabrini Green In 1996, that's finally when the mayor unveils his plan uh, for cabrini Green, and that's where he makes that promise. Anyone who wants to come back to the revitalized neighborhood will be able to come back.
0: But that um, didn't
1: happen. Right. And that did not happen, no. We got uh, the updated numbers from the CHA. There's more than 400 people. The CHA cannot find them, even after putting ads in newspapers and hiring companies to find them. More than 300 people have been evicted. People have died waiting wow. to come back to Cabrini. There's still today 85 people on uh, the lists that the CHA have who, who want to come back to the neighborhood.
0: So the um, Chicago Housing Authority... They have this uh, waiting list of of residents who basically had the right to return to the area. So, who was it that got on the list? How did the list actually function?
1: Sure. So, there's there's actually two lists. Okay. Um, there is a list of residents who had left Cabrini Green between ninety three and ninety nine. There's a separate list for people who lived in Cabrini Green as of October of nineteen ninety nine the list was be something that the residents fought in court in 1996 the residents took the CHA to court and the city and they wanted a seat at the table they they wanted They had been for years arguing that they had ideas, too. They had plans for their community. They wanted some of those buildings revitalized. They really wanted their landlord to do what a landlord is supposed to do Mm -hmm. um, and fix those units that were empty. And they felt like they were being ignored. And so they took the city and the CHA to court, and that's when they won the ability to create this list that the CHA was supposed to maintain. And they also won other commitments from the city and the CHA that there was going to be a certain number of what they call replacement housing built back in Carina Green for public housing residents. And they also asked for affordable housing units as well.
0: Hmm. I want to zero in on someone that you highlight in the investigation. Tell us the story of Angela Russell.
1: So Ms. Russell is one of those people who, who was in the list of residents going back to 1993. In 1993, she remembers, you know, being told that she lived in one of the high rises and being told that she needed to go. She had three little kids and because of segregation in Chicago, which allows, um, only allow black residents to live in a specific communities, um, her whole family lived in Cabrini Green, her grandparents, her parents, Um, And so when they offer her the opportunity to go to another neighborhood, she didn't feel that that was safe for her. She didn't know the other community, right? Mm -hmm. Cabrini Green was a place where you can go next door and knock on your neighbor's door and they will be able to watch your kids for a little bit until you, you know, went and grabbed milk for them. Mm -hmm. So where did she Um, go? Well, she ended up going to Logan Square to to the private market, and her parents helped her with bills until they died, and it became really difficult for her as a single mom to um, take care of her kids and work, and she ended up essentially homeless for many years, trying to come back to cabrini Green.
0: So she eventually discovered that she was on one of those CHA lists to be rehoused. She reached out to the housing authority about it. Uh, It claimed it had no record of her.
1: How is that possible? Alejandra? Well, because the explanation that she received was that her name was not on the list. And she kept arguing that she was on the list, that her family had lived in Cabrini Ring. People knew who she was and who her family was. And it turns out that um, this year, actually, someone thought to search for her social security number there it was her mary name came up and they found her and she was able to come back to fabrini um there have been a lot of reports that kind of go back to the way the lists that that were created and the bureaucracy of creating those lists and how the chma mistakes in the very beginning which is why it has been so hard to track residents and find residents
0: tell me about the research uh, on your end that went into this you had to have been looking through dozens and dozens of records um to find half of this information.
1: Yeah, you know, one of the things that we did with the story was tallying up how much money we have spent and how much money has been allocated or pledged for future projects. And that number is $2 billion. It's double what uh, Mayor Daley uh, said in the 90s that the project was going to cost. Um, And so that took the most most of the reporting. We asked the CHA for records, and they said that they didn't keep a complete accounting, and we asked the city. So the money that was spent, the taxpayer dollars, came in the form of CHA payments, but also a number of city, state, and local incentives, something called the low-income housing tax credit, uh, community development block grants, and an array of subsidies. And so tracking them all down and trying to figure out how much Money was given to developers that, that took the bulk of the time. And looking, we looked through property records. We, looked, we did a Freedom of Information Act requests. Mm-hmm. We went back into archives to try to find those numbers.
0: So by the time the Cabrini-Green transformation is completed, this will have cost taxpayers $2 billion?
1: Correct. So, so the city this year approved an additional $600 million in something called a tax increment financing. It's a special taxing district, yeah. and that money has been allocated for the next 12 years to finally finish uh, the promises that were uh, made to residents. There is a number of parcels of land that were the buildings once it stood that are empty, and the CHA and the city have said that they have plans to actually build the units. Mm -hmm. um there
0: a project that costs two billion dollars and there's no city agency keeping a complete accounting incredible Uh, alejandra this story uh it goes beyond housing you also found Mm -hmm. that um failed promises came up in terms of economic opportunity so in addition to that right to return that we talked about residents were also supposedly guaranteed jobs what happened there
1: Right, so um, city officials in 1997 went to Cabrini Green to unveil the plan that they had for their community. And among the promises that were made was the promise of 2,500 construction jobs in the near north side. So we went back and tried to figure out how we were going to take an accounting of, of how many jobs were created and what actually happened and who got those jobs. We found from records from the 1990s, Mayor Daley's administration created a center in Cabrini Green that was supposed to match residents with jobs. And the data shows that most of the jobs were service service industry jobs, low-paying jobs, not the construction jobs that they were promised. When we looked, when we asked records um, and we got records from the Chicago Housing Authority, it was the same trend. Most of the jobs that were created were lower-paying jobs, not the construction jobs that the city promised. In total, we could only tally 40 construction jobs that went to Cabrini Green residents in the near north side.
0: Ooh, 40 out of the promised 2,500 construction jobs. I think I know where this is going, Alejandra, but in addition to those jobs, businesses owned by residents were also promised city contracts. Did those come through?
1: And so that was the, you know, elusive promise of economic opportunity. And so when, when residents realized that they were not going to get this construction job, they started fighting really hard to create their own businesses. The idea was that if they cannot match us with jobs, we can create the businesses and match each other with jobs. Um, and that has been really difficult. They have been to Washington to ask uh, Congress members for help under a federal law a portion of federal money is supposed to go to businesses of low-income people, and they will qualify for that. And they have been asking um, the CHA to make good on that requirement that would allow them to get access to jobs. Um, There was even a federal review in 2011 that showed that what they were saying was true, that they had been sidelined for years. Mm. Um, The CHA finally created a program in 2016 that was the best, effort, the residents say, in, in correcting the years of, of wrongs, um, but that program ended with the new administration, and they say that they have, again, are being sidelined. Uh, some of them have been waiting for more than a year for a contract, what they call a job order, mm-hmm. and um, some of them are really at the brink of ending their businesses.
0: And so despite all that you've found, uh, especially uh, when it comes to the broken promises uh, of the housing portion of this, you found that some folks are still on waiting lists even today. Is that right?
1: They are on yeah for housing. They are still 85 people on a waiting lists today to be able to come back to Cabrini Green. There are 422 people that are technically on the list, but the CHA cannot find.
0: What has the city or the housing authority said in regards to these findings? Have you gotten a response?
1: So we tried really hard for months. We asked to meet with um, the CEO of the Chicago Housing Authority, Tracy Scott. and We um, asked uh, Mayor Lightfoot also to meet with us. We asked the commissioner, the housing commissioner, to meet with us. We wanted to, to sit with them and just show them, not to just ask questions, but show them what we have found. Guide them through their reporting so they could see what had happened. And all of our requests were denied.
0: What are you hoping comes from this investigation?
1: Well, I think it's a, a, a retelling of the story of Cabrini-Green. Um, most people in Chicago might know it as a neighborhood that was in, in headlines, and, and I think a lot of people might not know the true story of Cabrini-Green and the story of community and the people who lived there and and the injustices that were made to that entire community.
0: When you were uh, poking around and finding all these these numbers and, were you surprised by any of the, of the findings i know you set out to take on this investigation but is this sort of what you expected
1: i was surprised to be honest one of the things that the city created were something called mixed income community where you have public housing residents uh, middle class residents and um, wealthy residents living side by side and i initially thought well hmm, that sounds like a good idea what could go wrong And I ended up reading this uh, report by um, a University of Chicago professor. He spent six years looking at mixed-income communities in the west and south sides. And he found that public housing residents, and in Chicago the majority, are um, black because of the history of segregation and discrimination in the city. It's not by osmosis that you get access to economic opportunities, right? They, They feel some. Sometimes are, um, the rules are applied uh, harsher on them, that they, they cannot be themselves in those communities, and they feel isolated because it's not the sense of community that they had before. Yeah. So that was really surprising to
0: me. Are you hearing anything from residents since the story came out?
1: You know, I, I've been really touched by, by um, the, the number of people who have emailed and thanked me for the reporting. I wasn't expecting that. Mm. Um, how hard it is for them and how hard it has been for them through it all. It's um, it's humbling, really.
0: It's a great report. That is Alexandra Cancino with the Better Government Association. Alejandra, thank you. Thank you. Well, that's it for today's Reset. Don't forget to also subscribe to this podcast. And please give us a rating. It helps listeners find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening, and we'll meet again tomorrow.